0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DePhilippo, and joined tonight by my co host, Nick Pollock. Nick, uh, what should we talk about? Oh, I
1: don't know. I mean, Devin
0: Witherspoon and the Seahawks are pretty fun. Ooh, I was hoping your answer there was going to be the words literally anything else. Uh, but as you can probably guess, uh, we are here to talk about Penn State suffering its first loss of the season over the weekend in the Nittany Lions, lost 20 to 12 to the Ohio State Buckeyes in Columbus, in a game, Nick, that I thought Penn State was going to lose this game. I I think you also thought Penn State was going to lose this game, correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, go back to the beginning of the year, we pretty much all predicted this as a loss.
0: Yeah, and I think if you told me that Penn State lost this game because its offense just couldn't play the way that it wanted to play, even considering the fact... You you know, even if J.B. Nelson is in their left guard, even if Landon Tengwell is in their left guard, uh, whatever else, I don't think I would have been too stunned. But having said that, not being stunned and having to sit there for an hour and watch it are two very different things. Boy, was it jarring having to sit there and watch that.
1: Yeah, and I don't even really, like... (sighs) Yeah, I mean, not having Nelson... One was mm-hmm. weird. It was weird that he wasn't on the injury report at all and then didn't play. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, Ohio State's injuries were far more debilitating than what Penn State dealt with. So, mm-hmm. I mean, whatever.
0: Yeah, we we saw what I would say is kind of the fully actualized version of Penn State's key. Like, there were... There was no major injury other than having to put in a guy in Vega Yoane at left guard who has played a decent amount of football. Like, he's not by any stretch of the imagination, like some so, some totally new guy. This moment was too yeah. big for him, I think, but he's not totally new. And Amari Evans wasn't there because who knows? They didn't seem to have uh, Khalil. I, I, I want to give credit to Thomas Frank Carr uh, of, on three. this, um, Khalil Dinkins played on special teams, Mm -hmm. but he didn't, but he wasn't there for like team formation. Like it was, we had Penn State, Penn State was able to throw its best punch, Nick, Ohio State wasn't able to throw his best punch with Emeka Digbuka, Trevion Henderson and Denzel Burke all out. And I think even though you and I both expected this to be a loss, seeing that that was Penn State's offense's best punch. That leaves a bad taste in your mouth.
1: Yeah, and I will say, just I wasn't on the preview podcast. I think I probably would have predicted Penn State to win this game, honestly. So just to be fair to eh, kind of yeah. that spirit, but um, yeah, it this <laughs> it, was, it it was just it, it. I think what this weekend, more than anything, illustrated is that when your Penn State, yeah, you know, and th- this is the difference between the levels that these programs are at particularly when it comes to recruiting when you are ohio state and you mm-hmm. have certain deficiencies they're a lot easier to cover up than when you're penn state and you mm-hmm. have certain deficiencies like the ohio state deficiency as it relates to you know offensive line and quarterback like i think it's fair to say right now that's a lot easier for them to hide because the rest of the overall talent level is just so much higher. Whereas when you're Penn State and you're trying to hide your lack of receiver talent, the other pieces, like there's a ton of talent on this Penn State team, but it's not quite at the level to be able to shield your deficiencies as well as Ohio State is able to do that, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and I, I think coming into this season... You know, it's a, it's a point that Matt bring brought up a lot in the lead-up to this game. Part of the reason we... There, there are basically two big reasons why people thought this game could be different for Penn State. One, they had the five-star quarterback and... horror show. for him. In just about every way, you know, the dude's in tears after the game talking about letting his teammates down and everyone who feels Like, he yeah. had... I don't even want to say a day to forget because I don't know if it's possible for him to forget a day like this. And then you look at the nor three... Nor should he. Nor should players he. grow from this. Yes. And then you look at the three first-round picks, quote-unquote first-round picks, Penn State has that we hang our hats on. Sean Robinson gets hurt, goes out of the game. Sucks. I wish he could have seen this out. I don't know how big of a difference he makes if he is in this game start to finish, but I know he would have left some kind of imprint on this. fashanu battled uh, with... JTT with Jack Sawyer with whomever was being put uh, against him at left tackle. He, I I think, he allowed uh, maybe I think he allowed a sack or was part of allowing sack. Like he, he had one of his worst games that we've seen. And then Kaylin King, I think this is the guy that kind of shows the difference between Penn State and Ohio State. Kaylin King is by all accounts, and I still think this going to be a first round pick, could be a top half of the first round pick in next year's NFL draft. He just went up against the greatest college-wide receiver I have ever seen and I think I will see. And he got beaten over and over and over again, and I think that shows the difference ultimately between Penn State and Ohio State. Penn State has great players, talented players on its football team, but Ohio State just had more guys who were capable of doing stuff than Penn State's guys were capable of doing, Nick. And now we're we're sitting here, um, I, I don't want to say— there are certainly fans who are having an existential crisis. I think you and I aren't at that point by any stretch no. of the imagination, uh, but it, it still sucks to, uh, you know, have to take your licks in a game like this.
1: Yeah, I, I like I, I was over this before the clock He even hit zero on this one. Mm-hmm. To be, to be frank, um, I, d- I don't know why I'm able to shake off Penn State losses more easily than like like Seattle Mariners losses hit me harder, and they play 162 of those like. I don't really know what it is. Maybe it's the fact that my wife gets more upset than I do. So then that allows me to kind of shift into the, oh, it's okay, role. I don't know. But um, yeah, so the thing is, like, I I think if you played this game 10 times, these same exact teams, I think Penn State wins four of them. Like, I don't think this is – like, I don't think what happened was so, like, completely – and to be clear – Ohio State won this game by a larger margin than the eight points that the scoreboard showed. Mm -hmm. But I also don't think it was some, like, egregious beatdown. Like, I don't think Penn State was that far away here. And I I think Joel Klatt, the way that Joel Klatt put it, I think was honestly perfect. Like, he said, these are two really evenly matched teams. One of them has Marvin Harrison Jr. Like, Mm -hmm. that is a ridiculously powerful trump card in a matchup like this because to your point like Kalen King yeah he absolutely got beat from time to time I do think from I haven't had a chance to rewatch yet but I from what I remember most of Harrison's biggest plays came on zone busts or coverage busts not on you know directly one-on-one matchups with King and I wouldn't I wouldn't expect the best NFL corner to have a spotless day. Like that's just not how the game of football is geared
0: nowadays. Yeah. So bad. especially especially against wide receivers of his cat. Yeah. Like we you and you and me said coming into the season, Kalen King could have the best game. One of the best games he could possibly He could have a elite game and it might not matter because of how good that right. dude is. Right.
1: Yeah. He's he's a true freak. Like he you probably have to go back to Calvin Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald to find the last college receiver mm-hmm. to have the type of just impossible to stop impact that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it's, it, you're. I very much like I am not anywhere near that this existential crisis point that so many fans seem to be because, and I, it's partially because I do think Penn State is good enough to win this game were they to somehow play again. But also, like this just illustrates like where, like the hardest thing to do in college football. Is to like Penn State has taken a bunch of steps up the ladder. The hardest step to take is the last one. And like the talent discrepancy is still very much apparent. Look at the 2024 recruiting class. We were on three, just released those new rankings. Ohio State has two, the number one and number 18 players in the 2024 class are both receivers, both coming to Ohio State. Penn State's first guy on that list is, I think, Quentin Martin at number like 60 something. There's Penn State is absolutely improving and getting better in every capacity that a college football program can improve to. But Ohio State is still Ohio State, and there's still a ways to go to get to that point. And if if nothing else, this game just showed that you know, just illustrated that gap. Like, it's still, it is very much still there. That doesn't mean that Penn State is incapable of beating Ohio State. Like, Ohio State lost to Iowa. They lost to Purdue the last however many years. Like, things like that can still happen. But when you're Penn State and you're getting the absolute best shots from both Ohio State and Michigan every single year, because you are one of their marquee games also. They need to put on a show against you. When you're going to continue to get their best shots, like, this is, it's just going to happen. And Penn State could break through, but they're still at a talent discrepancy here. It still exists.
0: Yeah, I'm going to read a fun stat, um, a stat that would make me laugh if it was literally anyone else. Total yards on Monday, on not Monday, Saturday. Penn State had 240. Everyone else in Ohio State had 203. And Marvin Harrison Jr. had 162. Um, <sighs> yeah, just it. it like I'm, I, I, I'm certainly. I walked out of the bar I watched in and I wasn't in a good mood, but I was kind of resigned to this coming into the game, Nick. Um, and I like, I, 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 think it sucks. I think it's very funny because I think when we talked coming into the season, the scenario, I think everyone talked themselves into is every team in the, every one of the three big 10 East teams beats the other one in their own building. That's kind of the, mm-hmm. like, that, 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 seemed to be a very popular prediction and the it, like, there's a dark irony in the fact that we saw the first leg of that prediction come true, and boy, did was it not fun to sit through? But if there one was one thing that was fun, I'll say fun to sit through. Like I had, we're, we're, we'll get to the offense uh, after the home field ad here in a bit, but I had a blast watching Penn State's defense play in this game. Just a group of guys were called on time and time again to do. Something And if you basically take out that one time that Cade Stover went up and over, uh, I believe Kobe King, to get them right down to the doorstep, no one else other than Marvin Harrison Jr. was consistently able to do anything against this Penn State uh, defense. They ran as a team for 1.9 yards per carry. Again, that comes with the caveat. Uh, that Travion Henderson did not play in this game. You look through there, the rest of their receivers, Cade Stover, four catches, 70 yards. That one 30-yard gain meant he had three for 40 on every other reception that he had. Carnell Tate three for 21. Chip Traynham had one 19-yard gain. Julian Fleming, one catch, nine yards. Xavier Johnson, one catch, six yards. Obviously, mecha Ibuka didn't play in this game. But I think Penn State's offense, Nick, I, defense, apologies, lived up to the these guys are a group of rock stars reputation that they had in keeping Ohio State from running the ball altogether pressuring Kyle McCord a decent amount they basically did everything they could do in this game other than turn a turnover into a touchdown which they did if not for the fact that a penalty flag got called
1: yeah it's what are your feelings on I mean I first do you agree with did you agree with the flag I agreed with it. I thought it was a good
0: call. It, it it was weird because I thought that by the time King held on to him.
1: Yes, this is the nuance. Yeah,
0: everything had like it was basically in a situation where what well, let, I let's kind of take one step back here. If K1 King doesn't hold on to him, I don't think Kyle McCord is in a position where he could throw a football. to Marvin Harrison Jr. because Penn State had already gotten back to him. And I wonder if in that seeming it it seemed like an hour and a half that they stood there and talked about (laughs) it but it was probably only about two minutes after Curtis Jacobs uh, made what like that is one of the best offensive plays I've ever seen someone make by Curtis Jacobs to get there get the ball out pick it up run it back. They probably talked for two minutes It seemed like an hour and a half and my guess is that's what they were discussing I think yes it probably was a hold but again, the difficult part for me, Nick, is that, like, that didn't seem to me like it. And maybe there's my blue and white colored glasses on here. I did not think that impacted the play.
1: Yeah, no, I don't either. I very much agree that it, the play, like, Marvin Harrison was already taken out of the play. Also, like, Harrison does lean down into King on the play. So, like, there's, like, a little, little gamesmanship on his he's, part there he's, as well.
0: is trained in the dark arts, man. Yeah. Um. Yeah,
1: I I thought the same thing during the review. I was wondering if if the conversation was was the ball out by the time the hold was happening because then I I I'm assuming you get into the whole like well once the ball's tipped like it's it's that whole thing. But I, yeah. but then again I was thinking like well if it's holding it'd still be holding right because it's a return and there. Were, but regardless, um, that's what I assume the conversation was it, about. It as happened
0: well. against my it happened against my team, so I'm upset about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like it. it objectively, I. Objectively, it was halting, but to your point, like there was no play to me, no play to be made there. Just unfortunate the way it worked out. Because yeah, that was absolutely one of the coolest defensive plays I have ever seen. Like Mm -hmm. from top to bottom, that was such an awesome, awesome moment for Curtis Jacobs.
0: It sucks that it didn't count. Sucks. Agreed. And you look at that. It's funny because that's the kind of thing, Nick, that I like. That play going against you could theoretically take just take you out of the game if Ohio, Ohio mm-hmm. State especially because Ohio State ends up scoring after that and yeah. it didn't like they played like the unit that we all know they they are for 60 minutes and I I think everyone coming into this game is talking about well Penn State you know still has to I mean, we, we just did this Penn State still has to close the gap on Ohio State but that defense is as good as what ohio state threw out there if not better and like it it just it it just hurts to see that kind of an effort go to waste yeah
1: it's we i mean we more or less got the iowa experience sadly like oh god you're right this is god damn it this is an incredible incredible defense manny diaz is a phenomenal play caller he understands his personnel so well like they're he puts them in just absolute perfect positions to succeed. Um, you know, some some wires crossed on coverage has been passed off in the middle of the field, notwithstanding. I mean, that's a bummer. That's going to happen, though. Um, but yeah, this is such a remarkably good defense, but it also illustrates that in 2023, it doesn't matter if you have the best defense in football if, you, if your offense can't support it. Yeah, Hence the Iowa experience.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, is there anything, um, anything else you want? One thing I do want to mention about the defense because I think this needs to be, I think this needs to be brought up, and they need to get praised for this specific thing, and this is that, that in the third quarter, Ohio State has the ball on the doorstep. Uh, they get an explosive play in the passing game to Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, a little bit later, is Cade Stover going up and mossing Kobe King. Balls on the Penn State nine-yard line. From there, first and goal from the nine, Chip train and runs for three yards. Second and goal from the six, Devin Brown runs for five yards, gets stuffed. Third and goal, Mayan Williams runs blown up in the backfield, down to the two. Ohio State decides by in Dam that DeLuca. moment. By Dom DeLuca. By Dom DeLuca. Ohio State decides in that moment, we're playing to win this football game. Fourth and goal, Penn State's two-yard line. They send their offense out there. Kyle McCord goes to Car- Carnel Tate, swatted away, not getting it. And this is what hurts about this game. This is what hurts the most for me about this game. Nine tackles for loss, two sacks. They came up time and time again. The dam breaks at the very end of the game because uh, they try passing off, uh, I believe Abdul Carter tries passing off Marvin Harrison Jr. and he runs into, uh, I want to say, Kobe King. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you think they could have asked for from Penn State's defense to help them win this football game?
1: No, absolutely not. They did absolutely everything they could have done. They played more than well enough to win this game. Because I think if Penn State is able to put an offensive touchdown on the board before the last two minutes and just give the defense a rest, a chance Mm -hmm. to breathe for a second, then they are able to be even more explosive longer throughout the game. And maybe one of those other Ohio state touchdowns doesn't happen. Like, I don't think there's anything more you could have asked of this unit. Like I thought they were outstanding from top to bottom. I thought it's Isaac had one of his better games as a Nittany line. He looked fantastic. Mm -hmm. I thought Zane Durant looks great. Obviously had that splash play that tackle for loss, uh, pretty close to the Ohio state goal line. If I remember correctly, it was pretty deep in their territory. Kobe King, I I thought played really well. Like I know he had that coverage bust and he got mossed by Cade Stover, but he also played that pass to Cade Stover about as well as you would expect yeah. a middle linebacker to play it.
0: Yeah. I, um, so, sometimes a guy in the other team and this, yeah. this hurt Penn State on the other side of the ball. Sometimes a guy in the other team just decides I'm making a play and yeah. Penn State had no guys who could do that. Ohio State had one all game and one in that moment.
1: Yeah, it happens. Um, And then also I think uh, Deny Dennis Sutton deserves praise too for stepping in for Chop Robinson um, because, you know, Dennis Sutton hasn't really had to play with that much of an expanded role to this point and he did it going up against a top five team and he played really well. I know he just missed on a sack at one point, if I remember correctly, Um, but I I thought he was great and I think obviously we hope Chop Robinson is able to uh, bounce back soon. It seems like it's probably a concussion. Um, Fingers
0: crossed. Yeah.
1: But if he does have to miss any time, I think Manny Diaz should feel pretty safe knowing that he has denied Dennis Sutton there and that he has some depth there. So um yeah, obviously hoping the best for Chop. That was that was tough to watch for sure.
0: Yeah, hey, and, and now it's time for us to talk about Penn State's offense. And it's not fun. It's a really first though, Bill, should we talk about home field apparel? God damn. Damn it, Nick, I was doing a transition into that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so despite the fact that I was going to do this really cool thing... Uh, hold on, there, hold on. Let's reset. It to do it anyway. no nope nope nope, 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 nope. We're not doing <sighs> that. You ruined it. You ruined this for the listener. I hope all of you leave us a one-star review on Apple Podcasts where you say, Nick is a scout. Uh, please don't actually but yeah, our pod is sponsored by Homefield Apparel. Uh, homefield has been our sponsor since the very beginning of going podcast only. They've been nothing but great to us, and they've been nothing but great to Penn State fans. You go onto their website and look at their collection of Penn State attire, and they have so much stuff that I'm sure every single Penn State fan would want to have in their collections, whether it's short or long sleeve t-shirts, whether it's hoodies, whether it's joggers, whether it's quarters, whether it's a hat. Or What they released last week, they released this beautiful bomber jacket. Uh, It's blue and white, Penn State logo on the front. says Penn State across the back. One of the coolest pieces of apparel that that I have seen uh, in their collection. It's all great. It's all fun. I'm currently wearing uh, my Happy Valley Home Field t-shirt right now. Nick, uh, do you have any Home Field gear uh, on your person at the moment?
1: Not... Not currently, no, but I have been meaning to go on because I need to order that Rose Bowl shirt. It is yeah, gorgeous.
0: Yeah, that's, I actually, uh, after the game, I was walking around. Uh, my girlfriend and I went to go get dinner at a taco place uh, not too terribly far from me. And on my way out, I saw a guy wearing that shirt and I nearly mm. pointed at him and said, oh man, I love home field apparel. Uh, but I didn't because he was sitting with Ohio State fans and uh, my girlfriend's an Ohio State fan. And I could just tell by the eye contact that neither of us wanted to be there in the moment. Uh, <laughs> but if you want to do something that you actually want to do, you can go into Homefield Apparel, do some retail therapy, cheer you up after the loss. Use the promo code RLR23 for 15% off of your first order. If you've never ordered from Homefield Apparel before, again, if this is your first order from Homefield Apparel, use the promo code RLR23 for 15% off of your first order. Thank you again to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring this podcast, every podcast that we do. Uh, and for giving us a reason to have a place where we could talk about Penn State's offense, Nick. Um, Not good. No,
1: no, it wasn't. And I think, you know, in the after, not even in the aftermath, when it got to like halftime of this game, I think the one thing that um, you, myself, Matt, Flip, Craig, the thing that we were all talking about was, you know, there was probably too much stock put into or not enough stock put into maybe the struggles we'll see from the, that we've seen from the Penn state offense so far are just going to be a little bit worse against a really good defense. Um, And that's, they were, that's exactly what happened. Like exactly what we saw in the first half against Northwestern Uh is what we saw against Ohio state. Just, Magnified against a better defense. It sucked.
0: Yeah, and right now you look at uh Ohio State. what one thing that you and I also mentioned uh to one of us, I mean to we mentioned to one another is we didn't do a good enough job talking about how good Ohio State's defense is. And I think yeah. that was a bit of analysis that was kind of missing. They're up to fifth defensively uh in defensive SP plus. Now they're not too terribly far off of uh, you know, that top, top, top tier uh, of defenses. And I think we saw an Ohio State defense, again, to give them credit first and foremost, because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Penn State's issues. Uh, An Ohio State defense that they played with their hair on fire. They played Mm -hmm. like they knew Penn State had the reputation for being the best defense in the country or one of the best defenses in the country. And they went, no, we're going to show it's us. And I think Penn State still acquitted itself very well in this game. Uh, I still mm-hmm. think they, I, I would still probably take them as the best defense uh, in the country, or one of the two or three best defenses in the country, third in defensive SP Plus now, but Ohio State, even without Denzel Birkin at cornerback, uh, the guy replacing Jermaine Matthews on our preview pod if you listened with uh, Ryan Donnelly, he pointed out Matthews is a guy who just brings some juice and he you was know, like one hell of a player on the outside for them, but Nick, I, I can't remember, did I give you my theory about when Penn State? offense lost this game and how it wasn't on Saturday? Um, I don't think so. Remind me. So here's my theory. There were three separate times when Penn State's offense lost this game. The okay. first was in January and February when the transfer portal was open and their wide receiver search in the transfer portal didn't lead to them getting a bona fide difference maker. They got Dante Cephas, who uh, didn't get a ton of run in this game, didn't get a chance to do uh, too terribly much, because when he's gotten opportunities, he hasn't always been able to take advantage of them, and that applies to the other guy that got in the transfer portal Malik McLean. So there's one. Penn State's wide receivers were just not up to snuff in this game, and Penn State's efforts in the offseason to find wide receivers who could change this game were not good. Number yeah. two was in july or august whenever it would have been when james franklin and mike yurcich and whomever else sat down to look at what penn state's offense was going to be and after years and years and years of we want big plays we want explosive plays we want runs of 12 or more yards we want passes of 15 or more yards in the you know which we track i i believe it's been reported extensively, and I think Franklin's even said, those are the numbers that we look for. Uh, We want to get our athletes in space one-on-one with other guys, put them in positions to make plays, and if they do that, they're going to be successful. And they looked at all that, and they looked at this roster and went, I don't know if we can do that. We're going to go in the other direction where we're going to play ball control. We are going to run the football. We're going to win the time of possession battle. Uh, We're not going to turn the ball over, which has always been a thing for them and they make that radical shift away for whatever reason and it just it has its flaws with its big flaw being your margins are so thin and you're not putting yourself in a position if you fall behind to get back into a game so that's number two the number three was in every game after the West Virginia game when they had live reps to play college football with Drew Aller at quarterback, with Nick Singleton and Catron Allen at running back, and with a collection of pass catchers. And they decided, for whatever reason, we're not going to try. And and there's a point I want to give to Nate Bauer. He articulated it on the BWI live show today better than I would have, because I've been saying it in a very clunky way. We were not going to use the six games we had leading up to it, particularly the five after West Virginia to say, Drew's not comfortable throwing the football over the middle of the field. We're going to have him work on that and get better at that. Our receivers are comfortable in various situations. We're going to work with them and get better at that because I think they just placed such an emphasis on getting great at the ball control thing that they've been doing all year and picking up emphatic wins over Delaware, Illinois, Iowa, Northwestern, and UMass. And Nick, if you think any of that is wrong, please tell me that because I think those three things came to a head on Saturday.
1: I certainly don't disagree with the first point. Um, not that I don't think, like I think Dante Cephas was a good target, and I think he's still going to be a nice player, but him not being able to enroll um, on time as expected, I think was a particularly large blow for somebody who, whose main hurdle was always going to be getting up to speed with the pace that you know a power five team plays at. Mm-hmm. So I definitely don't disagree at that point. Like I, I, in really interesting alternate alternate what if question here is what happens if Penn State has Caden Prather in this game like if they land him instead of him going to Maryland. Like that's a really interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been struggling with the figuring out how much blame to place on James Franklin and Mike Yersich when it comes to the big lack of big plays because we have seen now I, I i do think there i mean like you said there's always been an emphasis on ball control at Penn State so i certainly think that's right. part of it like i certainly think there was a degree of like drew like do not turn the ball over like that yeah, is to, the most harmful thing you can do
0: yeah to be clear like James Franklin has been paranoid about turning the ball over for it. it's been a thing like yeah. that part of it is not new James Franklin has yeah. been a uh you know have been very very passionate in his belief that turnovers are like the worst thing that can happen
1: yeah um but then like we've seen the clips where Drew misses like I don't remember who was against but that Keandra Lambert Smith rep where he was wide open um Illinois. downfield Illinois and drew for whatever reason maybe it looked like he could see him but maybe he couldn't maybe his eyes were elsewhere um he had already moved off in his progressions or whatever i like so i i don't think that mike Yurcich is calling the game saying like let's look for this 4 yard completion like it, it's just so it's so antithetical of everything that he's done at every stop and everything that to your point that james franklin has preached like that just it doesn't really compute in my mind that that's what they would be doing. so i i I certainly think it's a little column A, a little column B here. The only question for me is like, does it just count come down to Drew being scared of turnovers? like is that is that the thing that's leading to this? because like we know he has the arm. He learned last year under Sean Clifford, maybe the most screw-it-throw-deep guy that Penn State has had, even even more so than Trace McSorley. Like, we in his, like when Drew Aller first came into the game against Purdue last year, one of his first throws was that rip to Tyler Warren that was like that 25, dropped, yeah. 30 yards down the field that Warren dropped, but was an incredible throw into coverage. Like, we know that he has this ability with him i i i am still struggling figuring out and i don't think it's a black and white answer like it's not one person's fault right like like the whole this whole thing is a confluence of lots of things but um i i think the other thing with drew though specifically is like when you step back and you look at this past weekend from a bird's eye view drew aller first time starter Mm-hmm. Biggest game of his life, against the best defense he's ever seen, game of the week, prime time slot, on the road, in his home state, against the team he grew up rooting for, with probably tons of friends and family in the stands. That's
0: a lot. <laughs> like, yeah, that's there was a... <laughs> a fi- Game Day did a video package about how he grew up an Ohio State fan. <laughs> yeah, like, that's a
1: lot for... Like He seems to be a really well adjusted kid mm-hmm. um, and I think he understands the pressure that's on him but that doesn't mean that like all those things like when you lay him out one after another like that you realize like holy crap that's a lot like that's a lot to put on one kid's head Yeah. Um, and I, it's just he and I, it was reflected in a play he just looked jittery he just looked it jumpy hurts. like the interior yeah. of the offensive line wasn't good but He still rushed more than a few throws. Like It's just...
0: You just feel feel for the kid. The first drive of the game, they have a third and three, third and four, whatever it is, and he has Theo Johnson wide open. And Theo should still catch this ball, but Theo's six yards away from him. There's no one near Theo. You just easy pitch and catch. Instead, he decides to go, you know, Ninety-eight mile an hour with some movement on that bad boy, yeah. it, it comes up on Theo a little too quickly. Like you, you saw early on that it also al- re- al- on that yeah, one, like that ahead. one
1: even specifically too. It looked like he, it looked like he had initially loaded up to go to someone else, and like mid
0: throw, almost realized, oh
1: nope, can't do that. Yeah, and well, then just Warren pivoted.
0: Is, Warren is behind him and yeah. also open, and if he's ripping it to Warren like that, I kind of get like. I kind of get it, but regardless, like one, I I think that this does kind of get into an issue that I had with the offense. Uh, Nick, there were moments in there. The obvious one to me is that third down slant targeting mm-hmm. Keandre Lambert Smith gets batted down. That doesn't happen. Penn state has a touch. Like I'm, yeah, that is, I, Mike, yours has come under a lot of heat for this game. And I don't necessarily blame people, but like that plays a touchdown. If that mm-hmm. doesn't get batted down with the line of scrimmage, uh, the The Nick Singleton swing, one. Yeah, the Nick Singleton will swing past the Singleton, dumps it off to him. Singleton catches that in stride and he's off to the races. Uh yeah. even if I don't know if that means there's, a 10-yard gain. There's I don't one know. One defender that, yeah. in front of him, and
1: there's ten guys on the screen. So there's only one guy not accounted for that I couldn't see at the time. Uh, he was at the top I, of the screen. Yeah, so I, I bet on him to make that guy miss and take that.
0: Yeah. And there were moments where it seemed they called the play calling wasn't the problem i think when you see how jittery this quarterback was i think you could there was a bit of a problem in i wanted to see more easy stuff over the middle i wanted to see mm-hmm. uh, you know a few more slants a few more getting the running backs the ball uh get just your playmakers in space one on one situation cuz they couldn't run the football like i know everyone says uh oh, uh singleton ran it uh, nine times. Allen ran it nine times. Singleton was averaging 5.3 yards per carry. You got to give it to him two more. Uh, second drive of the game, Nick Singleton uh, or was the third drive of the game? I believe it was the third drive of the game. Singleton ran for 36 yards on two carries. Uh, 48 minus 36 is 12. Nine minus two is seven. He had seven carries for 12 yards the rest of this game, and I think a lot of that has to do with interior of the offense wide. Penn State had a bit of a tell on some of it's. Uh, runs you go and look and third and th- their first drive in the third quarter third and two they're near midfield hours two for two on the drive they're getting into a little bit of a rhythm very manageable third down I think Ohio State might have noticed that when Penn State brought its tight end across the formation that they identify that as they're going to be running the football he's going to be getting the backside edge players Penn State's interior defensive line gets pushed back. Ohio State's linebackers crash. It goes for like a five-yard loss or something like that. So that wasn't working. The running game just in general had a bad game. I think J.B. Nelson's uh, not being there was a big issue. So where I do have a little bit of criticism for Mike Ursa, James Franklin, whatever, is it never seemed to me, Nick, like their number one priority was we need to get Drew you know, for a basketball reference, we got to get him to the free throw line. We have to find ways to get him fouled so we can get to the free throw line, hit the e- hit a couple easy ones, see the ball go through the rim, and then he's able to start launching from three. It never seemed like they were really trying to throw little, you know, whether it's a screen pass, whether it's a little slant route, everything seemed like it was Drew, throw the ball. If you're going to throw the ball, throw it to the sideline try to throw it to someone out there because if you throw it there and you miss them high or wide or anything like that, it's impossible for them to pick you off. Yeah.
1: It, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I think we, something that hasn't, I feel like I haven't noticed as being discussed as much because it hasn't really been an issue for Penn State on the road in Ohio State games. It's more of a Michigan thing. But, yeah, I mean, to that point, if anything, they just got ultra conservative. Like, they they didn't push the button, and that's normally not something that's an issue for them in Columbus. Like, you think back to, like, maybe towards, maybe, like, 2017, towards the end of the game, maybe they got a bit too conservative, and that's kind of what led to the downfall. But typically against the Buckeyes, they Franklin's pretty willing to just kind of let things rip and see what happens. This looked more like the script of a, penn state game in ann arbor like
0: that's what it looked like and felt like mm. that's a huh i hadn't thought of it quite like that but you are 100 correct uh when you think about those games in ann arbor everything is defined by the offense just looking clunky and yeah. clunky i think is probably the best word to describe this nick again oh yeah 100 so a disjointed reason, a big reason why it was ohio state deserves a lot of credit but like was there anything you thought they could have done to get a little bit of a spark in the offense, or do you think they were basically DOA?
1: Um, I don't think they were DOA. Like, I, I think there were opportunities to be had over the middle with the tight ends. Like, I they just didn't really use Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren aside mm-hmm. from like that one drive where I think I think it was Tyler Warren caught like maybe a pretty deep pass or no theo johnson i think called like a 34 yard pass um like I, I that's where i feel like the missed opportunity was and then early in the game too like there was i think an early slant to keandre lambert smith maybe after maybe when ohio state was up 10-3 um there was like there was a pretty quick slant route to keandre lambert smith that you know worked great it was like a i think eight or nine or ten yard gain and Joel Clatt, I remember on the call, he was like, "That's what we're expecting. We're expecting to see a lot of slants today, a lot of quick stuff, get out of his hands quickly." And then we just didn't really see it anymore. Like, I, I, like I said, I think the the oh. blame for the disjointed offense deserves to be spread around evenly, but the, I do think that Mike Yersich does deserve criticism for right. not, like it's almost like he went through 20 different game plans in one game. Like, yeah. he, he tried something for a couple plays, like, all right, that's not going to work, and then tried something else, all right, that's not going to work. Like, he, I I don't, I would love to hear from him directly, like, what did you think was going to win the day here? Like, because I, I don't know, I don't really know what he was thinking with the play calling.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I'm inclined to agree there. And I think that this kind of gets to, my think if they lost this game in July or August and they decided to be a ball control team. I think if that's the direction that you want to go in, if you want to go in the direction of we are going to try and keep the other team's offense off the field, long, sustained drives, etc. Even if I get why, Nick, they moved away from the running game, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think you can do that. No. I truly do not think... You could put yourself in a situation where your quarterback is putting it up 42 times. Not always to great effect. You are, instead of running the ball, or instead of, um, I don't even know what you want to call, instead of calling anything that makes sense, you get desperate and ask Keandre Lambert-Smith to play quarterback a few times indirectly. (laughs) Like, there was was the two-point conversion where he gets it. There was the first play out of the punt uh, that... Penn State was able to recover. Uh, Penn State won the turnover battle. I think good job yes, Penn State did. for winning the turnover battle. Wait, you know, raise the banner uh, where they asked Keadro Lambert Smith to throw it. And I get in theory why you do something like that. It, it just feels so desperate. And yeah. I want Drew Auer throwing to Keadra Lambert Smith in a position where Keadro Lambert Smith can be a receiver. Um, and then I believe there was like... Uh, an attempted reverse or something where maybe Chiodry was supposed to throw an Ohio stage. So like everything felt, Can I, to say, me- so, I think yeah, that reverse, I, th- it was like a, I think it was like a triple reverse. I think it was
1: too good because I didn't even realize that Aller didn't have the ball the whole time until he like loaded up to throw it. <laughs> and I almost wonder if, like, did Ohio State just think he still had the ball, and that's why they were on him so quickly. Like, it was, that was a super weird— play. and the camera work didn't help either, but that was a really weird play.
0: Yeah, so you have all of this stuff happening around a quarterback who is brand new to this, and I do want to take two minutes, Nick, to discuss Drew Auer specifically, um, okay. because— the idea of this game for Penn State, the idea of coming into this game for Penn State was a big reason why they were going, this game was going to be different for them, was, you know, I this, this is going to sound like I'm trying to troll Matt specifically, which I'm not. I'm not <laughs> trying to do because I think this is like a legitimate reason why people felt a lot of optimism in this game. The five-star stepping in here was going to elevate the team or elevate the quarterback play specifically over what they got from Sean Clifford last year, the year before, etc. And I completely get why you'd think that. But instead, sure. we look at his recruiting ranking, which is a really good indicator of what he can end up being. And not we look too much on that. Instead of, he's a young quarterback, they clearly wanted to ease him along for the first month or so of the season for the first month and a half of this season he had real troubles on the road and then the first time he faced real adverse like real adversity not uh illinois has zero has one good player that one or one and a half good players to whatever you want to say and they're putting their imprint on the game but come on they're not actually going to threaten us everything came crashing down and he just got caught up in quicksand and it almost makes you think we did a disservice to Drew Auer by putting that much on him right away um i don't like i don't think his he's going to end up being a bust i don't think he's uh, anthony morelli 2.0 or anything like that but for him like this th- this was the worst case scenario and i think we have to acknowledge that
1: yeah it's you know it like we talked about before with ohio state being able to more easily cover up deficiencies one of the reasons for that is because they have mm-hmm. their young, first-time, former five-star quarterback paired with an unbelievable receiver room. Like, yeah. Kyle McCord is—I I think Drew Drew Aller is more naturally talented than Kyle McCord, I think. He, he but was, Kyle McCord— McCord had an okay game. He was okay. Yeah. he McCord is— McCord is getting along just fine because he has security blankets. He doesn't have to elevate his receiver room. His receiver room can elevate him. Penn State does not have that type of receiver room. They need Drew Aller to elevate them, and he's just not at that point yet. And it shouldn't be surprising that he's not at that point yet because he's a first-time starter playing in his seventh game against the best defense he's ever seen. Like that's yeah, it's just where it's just where the programs at that's where the wide receiver rooms at right now and that's due to a litany of reasons due to it's due to the revolving door at wide receiver coach over the last few years and the impact that that has on recruiting not that Penn State hasn't recruited dudes at receiver they've gotten a lot of talent it's just not the same
0: yeah and Franklin had uh, a quote after the game I'm trying to go back quick enough to find it but the gist of it uh let's see uh, he said, Drew needs some guys to make a play for him on a more consistent basis. And even with how much Aller struggled, like, that's true. Like, Trey Wallace is back and healthy. Keandre yep. Lambert-Smith was, you know, he was there. He ended up being Penn State's top receiver on the day. Keandre caught um, five balls or six balls for 52 yards, 8.7 yards for reception. The tight ends that we, you know, the much Ballyhoo tight end room that Penn State has... Theo Johnson caught two balls for 39 yards. Tyler Warren caught one for 11 yards. They just haven't done enough. He hasn't gotten enough help. And even though he has really struggled, it's hard for you to not struggle when your team can't run the ball consistently, when uh, you don't have guys getting open consistently enough. And when you have that mixed with the flaws that we've seen in his game, he doesn't throw the ball over the middle of the... Like, just doesn't. Mm -hmm. He can sometimes be inaccurate he could sometimes not know how much he needs to put on and he gets happy feet under pressure all these things everything went wrong for him and i think this is a really good point in part nick for us to look forward a little bit and talk about where penn state's go from here goes from here like it's it's easy for us anyone and i wouldn't blame them for sitting actually no real quick i want to ask fourth and 4 43 yard line 717 left penn state decides to go for it they don't get it. Ohio State scores on the next possession, makes it twenty to the, twenty to six. Did you like them going for it there?
1: Yes, just because I at that point in the game, I didn't feel like I, I I certainly didn't trust the offensive score if they were pinned back deep at any point. So I I'm kind of the mindset of if you're anywhere close at that point, you got to try, because. The defense tries; it might is not going to be able to win this game for you. Like they're not going to be able to go score the points they need to win this game. So, I I was fine with it. Yeah,
0: it, it it's tough because I probably trusted them to get four yards in one play where they know knew they needed to get four yards. Then I trusted them to get ten yards over three plays at any other point in this game. The next drive, yes, incomplete pass, incomplete pass. Three yard run with a face mask, incomplete pass, incomplete pass with a roughing the passer, incomplete pass, false start, incomplete pass, incomplete pass, sack. They did not get four yards on any of the plays after after that until Ohio State, for all intents and purposes, were like, yeah, we're just gonna kind of chill out on the final drive of the game. So I really I need to go back and watch that final
1: drive because I'm sure they were chilling out, but also like it was not technically over. So I need, I, I really yeah. need to go back and watch that and see like how off were they playing and right. like, or was this truly Drew finally like being like, well, might as well just deep breath. yeah, Might as well toss it around now. Nothing, Same. nothing to lose.
0: I need to go look at that too. So like Franklin was aggressive. It didn't work out. Everyone wants the coaches to be aggressive until they're not and yep. until, it, until they are and it doesn't work. I like, I still get the thought that like, I, I don't hate it generally. Uh, but I so I also get the thought that uh, you should try to have Riley Thompson with a pretty good game, pump it deep. Um, hope I you thought can, he was great. Yeah, yeah. Hope you can make something happen. Um, yeah. I, Side note: Since you
1: mentioned Riley Thompson, Alex what Hawkins. a what a yeah what a wonderful development Alex Falcons has been. Like two forty-yard field goals in the shoe, like that's awesome.
0: Yeah, We're here for that for sure. Like he. He was one of the few guys who had a good game. So we'll mention yeah. that. And now we'll mention where we go from here. I mean, it's easy to sit here, doom, gloom, all that, Nick. Uh, we're certainly, certainly believe there's some of it. Uh, Penn State fills six spots, uh, three spots in the AP poll, down to number 10. And next week, they have Indiana, the Maryland after that, two games before they welcome Michigan to town. And if we are going to see Penn State turn the tables a bit, and play out this scenario, uh, again, I don't think they will. I think Michigan is the best team in the country. Play out this scenario where it's 11-1 at the top of the Big Ten. They need to win all three of those games and then finish out the season. They have to end the season with five straight wins now. I don't think that's going to happen. But if Penn State were to use this game as a launching off point to do something different, better, etc., how do they do that? What does that look like? And where do we go from here so that when Michigan comes to town, we're not seeing essentially this exact same performance by the offense again. Because I'll say this, if they don't change anything, they're doing this again against Michigan. And if you think it wasn't fun watching Penn State do that in the shoe, oh, watching them do that in Happy Valley is going to feel so much worse, especially against a Michigan defense offense that I think is going to be able to move the ball a bit more easily and effectively on this defense.
1: Yeah, it, if they do this again against Michigan, it's gonna be worse (laughs) Mm like it'll it'll be worse yeah um probably i guess i guess we i guess we don't know for sure still how good michigan is but they seem pretty good um yeah i as far as going forward i i mean the quick easy answer seems to be you know use your damn tight ends in the middle of the field like that seems like a really easy way that should be able to open things up a little bit more on the outer on the outer edges of the field and for the run game because like if you can get those out routes to the sideline open, you know Drew has the arm to throw those balls. Mm-hmm. Like you just can't allow defenders to consistently be getting guys so close to the sideline that that throw is impossible. Like to me, it just however whatever you need to do to be able to access and open up the middle of the field is what the goal needs to be here. Because uh, you mentioned earlier, I don't think the run game deficiencies are because of the backs or or even the offensive line. Like I think the offensive line run blocking is a little bit worse than last year. Um and that, you know, that could mainly just come down to the absence of Juice Scruggs, honestly. But um I also don't think they're really even being given a chance because defenses are just loading up knowing yeah. that, you know, I mean Even the worst teams, like they're like, I mean, yeah, we're probably going to lose this game, but Aller's not going to throw down the field on us. So, like, why, why bother covering that space? So, whatever it is to do that, whatever they can do to access the middle of the field of the passing game, I think that has to be that has to be focus number one. Um, Because if you can start ripping off slants or anything over the middle of the field in like that ten to fifteen yard range it's just going to do wonders for the running game. And then that in turn will do wonders for the pass. Like that's how you can recreate that symbiotic relationship. Cause right now it's just a broken chain. Um, So that to me has to be, that has to be number one.
0: Yeah. And I, for me, it's less about trying to access the middle of the field uh, and more about just try to use it and trying to encourage a quarterback to put the ball in that area of the field because he doesn't even seem comfortable looking There and I, I honestly think a big portion of it is this fear of turning the ball over. Do you think a pick would help him? I here's my thing, Nick. And I said this to our group of friends. He didn't throw an interception on Saturday. He went eighteen for forty two with one hundred and ninety one yards with a four point five yards per attempt. He they had a three and out, a four play drive with a punt, a six play drive with a field goal, four plays and a punt, three and out. Six plays with the punt, four plays in a punt, three plays in a punt, three plays in a punt that got recovered by Penn State before no, three more plays with a punt, four plays turnover on down. Like, how is that different from turning the ball, from, like, actively handing the ball to the other team? That is the kind of shambolic performance that, to me, is just as bad and just as demoralizing as throwing an interception. Like, yeah. I, we're, we're so far past the point of him throwing a pick would help him. Him playing well is the thing that would help him. Him getting confidence in what he could do throwing the football would help him. And I think that Indiana this upcoming weekend is a perfect opponent for that. Indiana, 95th nationally in SB+, 99th offensively, 86th defensively. Penn State's something like a 31-point favor in that game. It's happening in Happy Valley. And I'm saying all that to say this. If you can't use... If they decide to go back to what they did For the first six games of this season. Well, after the West Virginia game, we'll say. And say, we're going to lean on Catron. We're going to lean on Nick. They're going to run the ball for somewhere between 4 and 4.6 yards per carry. We're not going to put too much on Drew's plate. Just because we don't trust. We think we need to hold his hand a little bit more. They are going to get turbo-nuked by Michigan. You have to take what happened against Ohio State. Look at the things that you struggle at, and use this game and potentially the Maryland game. That's a that's going to be a tricky game uh, for as easy, much as it is fu- much fun as it is to rag on Maryland. Uh, that's going to be a tricky game in College Park. Uh, FPI has Penn State has about an eighty three percent chance to win it. Maryland's like thirty second in offensive SP plus, but Indiana is not going to threaten them. Indiana is not going to seriously threaten them, and you have to use this game against Indiana as a launching off point for the final five games of your season? Or are you going to take it as an opportunity to get live reps to work on things that you need to get better at? Or are you going to take this as the most important thing that we could potentially do in this game is be conservative, not put too much on Drew's shoulders, and grind our way to another game where we win something like, you know, 35 to nothing because we just don't, we're just so worried about messing this kid up. Because right now they are in the process of messing this kid up. You are messing this five star gem of a quarterback up. If after that game last week, you do not trust him to be the guy, or you do not say, We're getting behind you, we're using this as an opportunity to let you see and try and do things that maybe we haven't trusted you to do in the lead up to this in a very controlled environment for you to do those sorts of things. And I don't know if they will, Nick, I hope they will. I hope they run Indiana off the field. I hope drew throws her 450 yards, five touchdowns, and maybe one interception in that game. But who knows? I, I, I I do think it's important to stress and I'll let you say this before I wrap it up. Like for as much as that game sucked, and as ominous as we that Michigan game now appears, Penn State is still in a spot where if it can sort itself out by the time Michigan comes to town, it could be in a position to do the thing that everyone has said Penn State has the potential to do this season, which is be right there at the very top of the Big Ten East.
1: Yep, it is. <laughs> and it's almost what makes me wonder, like... If you want to go full tin foil hat conspiracy, like was Franklin like obviously they wanted to beat Ohio State, but at the same time they were were they like, ah, if we lose, it's not the end of the world if you really want to go full Twitter conspiracy there.
0: oh yeah, let's do it.
1: um, but yeah, no, to your point, like it's everything they want is still on the table. like I guess yeah. you are you're assuming that Michigan also goes and beats Ohio State. I think they probably will just because I think this Michigan team is so well-suited to beat Ohio state, but you know, at the same time, that's also why they're well-suited to beat Penn state at the moment Mm because Penn state is, you know, spiritually trying to emulate what Ohio state does. So, um, but yeah, like it's, it's all still there. Like if you can find a way to use all this immense talent you have, you can still beat Michigan and you can win the big 10 East. I have long given up on trying to keep track of tiebreakers and where we're at with those. But from the little I understand about it, it seems like we're still in good position as far as Penn state goes in that regard. So it's, it's all still there. Like this is a group of 18 to 22 year olds and a game like this is either going to be, you know, it's either going to be the ass kicking that puts them into gear like the 2016 Michigan game did, or it's going to be the, you know, the thing that defines the season, like so many other Ohio State losses have in years past. Mm-hmm. So it's, if nothing, like I, and, and and you know, that's partially probably why I was over, over this loss so quickly, because even going into it, like, I had the mind, like, yeah, if they lose, it sucks, but it's also not over. Like, there is, if you're gonna be one of the people that says, oh, it's a two-game season, nothing else matters, cool, win the other game, it's still there, like, it's not yeah. over. Like, you... You still have that opportunity in front of you, so
0: yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I had Nick do that because I'm far less optimistic about their ability to do that, uh, and I knew he. Do, I don't he'd think they're going be yeah. to beat Michigan, to be I, clear. But I knew you but... put it much better than I would. So <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's it for the pod. Uh, thank you, everyone, as always, for listening. Make sure you, wherever you go to get your podcast, you go and subscribe. If you use Apple Podcasts, please go use a five star review. If you use Spotify, please go uh, leave us five stars there. Use that Q and A feature especially after a game like this gives us a little bit more uh to talk about we get a little bit more of a sense of what you guys uh are thinking uh if you use youtube hop into the youtube comments be cool but talk about this with other penn state fans uh make sure you follow us on twitter at rlr blog i put out the tweet after the game how are we doing go ahead and vent just don't be a dick and we got 116 replies on that bad boy so (laughs) uh it's a good place for you to talk about things over there if you would like to talk over there uh and yeah one last time i want to say thank you to our sponsor Homefield apparel if you've never ordered from them before use the promo code rlr23 for 15 percent off of your first order. one last time thank you everyone for listening to this edition of roar lions roar for nick Pollock. i'm bill Filippo. take care everyone go state